calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Audiobooks.com, in association with pjvalentine.net and writersexchange.com, presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Valentine. Let me give you a quick history lesson. The Duke glared across the polished oaken table at the chieftains and advisers of his court. We are the southernmost and smallest of the island of this group of kingdoms, he gestured behind to the map pinned to the rock wall. The scattering of lands it showed were like precious green jewels, dwarfed by the vast waters of the deep that surrounded them. The map extended as far as their knowledge did, to the outer islands only. To the south are the fathomless limits of the deep, in which nothing lives and no one has crossed. To the north, the other islands are all larger and more powerful than us, and because of this we trade little with them. The Sitkan Principality is our closest neighbour and oldest enemy. Once they even landed ships on this very peninsula. We have all heard the tales of how their homeland is protected by the great magics of their mothers and godlings. Here Garin shot his own divine representative a scathing look. Lou remained aloof at the end of the table. But we all know the Sitkan. They still hold a grudge and would dearly love to take us for their own. The godling smiled lightly, and the duke, already on edge, pounced. You find something amusing in this situation, Lou? The man presented the ultimate picture of calm. In his purple robes, with his graying hair hanging over his collar, and his neatly trimmed beard, he seemed inoffensive, and at worst, irreproachable. The Duke knew better. This man was the greatest danger to his plans, greater than Ashima even. What a pity a similar fate couldn't have been arranged for him. Yet he still remained silent on what, if anything, he knew. The Duke was not happy with the godling's presence, and for a moment he was worried that he might reply. Lou's voice, burred with the southern clan accent, was so soft that everyone in the room had to strain to hear. But then, that was the desired effect. All this is mere foolishness. In war, no one suffers but the common people. My blessed godling is not expected to understand the politics of state. I do not pretend knowledge of his affairs. He gave his opponent a wolfish look. Picking up a crystal goblet, he peered at Lou through its ruby contents. War will happen between Crisfell and Sitkan, one way or another. Better that it should be on our terms. We shall choose the moment and strike decisively. War will be mercifully swift, and the common people, as Lou so quaintly calls them, will suffer little, if anything. They, above all, would want Ashime revenged. All the other members of the council nodded sagely. The news of his messenger's death had rekindled ancient hatreds. Already several clans were urging their blacksmiths into weapon production and gathering warriors from their winter preparations. 
Damon, chief of the Lystra, stroked his beard, his expression distant. He respected the divine and gave generously to both the mothers and the godlings, yet even so the duke could see his eyes lighting up with the thought of profit to be made at war. His clan had been through a hard year. Winter had not been kind to the tough mountainous land of Crisfell's interior. Many had perished, and survivors might want a reckoning with their chief, wondering about his competence to rule. His flinty eyes were already hardening with resolve as he added up the advantages and pitfalls of such a venture. Beside the duke, he was the most powerful chief on the island. His was a small but influential clan, and where he led, the rest would follow. Finally, Damon nodded. The Sitkan have never shown us any mercy. This cowardly slaying of a messenger of peace shows that. If the duke has a plan to give them a measure of the same, then we would be foolish not to hear him out. The other lords pounded the table with their fists in agreement, faces red and fevered. Lou dragged his chair back from the table, his expression troubled. He knew what would follow, and he had no desire to be among it. The divine gave free will, and this was the price that was paid for it. The duke's handsome face was lit up with triumph, and something even more disturbing. But the godling knew better than to point it out to the chiefs. Better not to reveal his hand before the right moment. Lou left, but the others hardly noticed, already deep in preparations for destruction. This was the place where a godling's influence ended. The divine had no place in a council of war. How appropriate that the duke had chosen this room, buried deep within Skellig Castle, for such a meeting. Far from the dawn room, where any clansman could come to see the governance of Crisfell. He allowed himself a long sigh. So it had always been. Now it remained for him to try and limit the damage as much as possible. Lou crossed the rock causeway that separated the two wards, scarcely noticing the salty tug of the wind at his beard. The corridors back to the light were numerous and confusing, but eventually he stood outside the little room he occupied while at Skellig. His status as advisor to the court allowed him any choice of lodging, but he had taken the small cell because of its beautiful view of the gardens. In the shape, form, and smells of nature, you could see the divine. He smiled a little to himself. Perhaps he had chosen wrongly as a novice. Perhaps the path of mother should have been his. The door was not locked, and he already knew who would be waiting for him. Solistra sat on a small stool by the window. Her beauty was like a fine, pale shell, and she was more precious still, like a child to he that had none. Lou had found the young, white-haired girl wandering the streets of Skelligtown. Immediately sensing her potential divine powers, he had looked after her, all the time nurturing the hope that she would become a godling. But other paths had opened for her, and he tried to conceal his disappointment when she had chosen the mother's way. Their relationship remained, even though it was certainly an unusual one, their orders not being known for cooperation, despite sharing divine home. It was a common misconception, for few knew that beyond the compound walls of that most sacred building were two very separate halls. Still, he and Solistra had much in common, both sharing the hard road of service, marked only by constant devotion and abstinence. He admired Solistra for a fine mind, but loved her for her friendship. In his hidden heart, he had already named her as the daughter he'd never had. Luckily, in her capacity as Divine Home's messenger, she was often at Skellig, and sometimes she was the only company he had. Divine Home only gave up one of its kind to the temporal world, and it was he that had volunteered. His sacrifice allowed the others to remain aloof, but it did not guarantee him their respect. Solistra was smiling at him, a glimmer of sun in this shady corner of the castle. The other mothers knew her affectionately as white light, and it was easy to see why. Her white blonde hair gleamed and dazzled under the meagre sunlight from the window. 
When she turned, her sharp blue eyes quickly took in Lou's bowed shoulders and downcast look. They were swayed by the Duke, then, I, I thought so. She picked at the folds of her green robe brusquely. What would you expect from a group of men, led by their crotches as usual? Solicitor wasn't known for mincing her words. Lou sank into the winged chair opposite her. I thought there was a chance. But no, you were right. With all the clans thinking Ashime's death was the Sitkan's doing, there wasn't much hope. They're just looking for an excuse. One girl's death shouldn't be enough to send them off to war. Lou controlled his expression carefully. Solistra herself wasn't that much older than the messenger. We all know she has importance. The mother snorted. I know, but not for the reason they think. I've had reports from other mothers. They've all been seeing her in their dreams, so she's quite obviously alive. The Divine wants us to know, but I don't see how one person, even Ashime, will make any difference to these events. Lou relaxed back in his chair, focusing, trying to listen to the Divine within, but nothing was revealed to him. Sometimes God was elusive. And at those times, humanity just had to muddle along. The worshippers of the divine chose the path and the method that they wanted to follow. The mothers saw divinity in nature's shapes and forms, the godlings through the focusing of the mind. The populace looked to both of them for advice and help in reaching spiritual beauty, but unfortunately they looked to the duke for guidance on the earthly realm. Both mothers and godlings were only loosely organized, not structured enough to pose a real threat to his control. He had, with Ashime's demise, gotten the weight of the clans behind him, and there was no way of stopping him. This was obviously what was concerning Solistra the most. If rumours were true, then he also had a few rogue makers behind him. This was obviously what was concerning Solistra the most, for makers offended mothers greatly. Their undisciplined manipulation of the creative energies of the earthly realm struck to the core of the mother's belief and the things they could do with their magic was sore irritation to the divine as well. I've seen one, Solistra finally managed. A maker, that is. I even saw the little weasel. I know his name. Doncha. He caused a fire in the barren hills that took several of us to bring under control. He is one man that makes me think perhaps execution is the right way to go. Honestly, if the Duke is gathering other makers here, then things are worse than we fear. That they are. Lou could no longer hold in his own fears. I've had worse dreams, Solicitor. Dreams in which the makers are cast into insignificance. Worse is heading our way. We had best to prepare. For once, I just wonder what we can do. Solicitor concealed her distress with difficulty. Mothers and godlings are advisers, not warriors. But I must admit the path of the sword seems mighty attractive. We must do what we can. Give advice. Watch and wait. So do not worry. We too will have our part to play. Solista rose sharply, twisting her fingers together in an unconscious gesture of fear. I know, Lou. There's a plan to everything. But I'm not used to being silent when I know things are going on which shouldn't be tolerated. She gave him a meaningful look. She meant slavers as well as makers, of course, and he hoped she didn't blame him for that. There was only so much one old godling could do. Lou was about to say something to that effect when he heard the faint song in his mind, the divine twitching at his perceptions, alerting him to untoward happenings. He raised his hand to silence Solistra, but there was no need. 
She too had become aware of the intrusion, and her blue eyes narrowed with concentration. Stone and wood were no barrier to the divine. Lou felt a twisting and constriction from her direction, followed by a flash of heat. Celestra, he remonstrated, sensing the maker that had been lurking nearby was now running to find water to dunk his overheated feet in. The mother didn't even look contrite. That'll teach the little sneak. Imagine, anyone trying to listen in on us in such a way. Lou managed not to smile. I didn't think that's what the divine had in mind for our gifts. She snorted, pulling her robes around her regularly. You godlings are all the same. None of us can honestly say that we know what she wants to do with them. We can only rely on our own choices. And I choose to make that maker pay. She fairly spat out the last word. All very well, Lou shook his head at her vehemence. But now he is bound to tell the Duke what has happened, and then his suspicions will be raised. Solistra stared at him coldly. Obviously, she wasn't going to apologize. I think you better be on your way, Mother. Lou ushered her to the door. You know, the only thing we can do now is wait. I will contact you once the Duke reveals more. She nodded quickly, favoring him with a concerned look. You will be careful, you old fool. The Duke suspects you as it is. Once he is secure in his position, you will be in danger. If you need help here, perhaps I could... We all have our jobs to do, Celestra. Our burdens to bear. I'll be fine. Now you go home and tell the others to look to their dreams. We'll need everybody's strength to get through this. The mother didn't say anything further, but she kissed him briefly on the cheek like a favoured grandfather before slipping from the room. As if it had been she that raised him. How like a mother, Lou thought, before shutting the door firmly behind him. Everything had proceeded far more smoothly once Lou had gone. The Duke was pleased indeed. At times, in fact, he'd had to hold back some of the chieftains. Lorcan, chief of the Marakai, was particularly keen, and the Duke was glad of that. The clan Marakai were the guardians of the huge, ageing flotilla of ships, once meant for the invasion of Sitkan. That grand plan had never reached fruition, but the clansmen still maintained the massive ships, their greatest hope being that there would be a time to use them. Their chief promised shipwrights would work day and night to have the vessels ready and to add to the fleet. Lorcan was ecstatic to think that time was now, for they were also the only ones with the skills to cross the vast distance to the enemy's homeland. Oh yes, the Marakai were essential. Damon was all ready to fill the ships with his clansmen, and others would soon follow. Spring was only the span of a season away, and when their accompanying winds blew in the right direction, the time to move was upon them. He had had to promise extra food and supplies to the Marakai, so that the ships would be ready on time, but it was worth it. The Duke's heart pounded at the very thought, and especially because these men knew nothing of the real reason behind his eagerness. By the time the clansmen filed from the chamber, it had been decided, and plans constructed towards its end. The Duke stood up. Now business was done, it was time for a little fun. Sweet God, he needed some. He made his way down to the dungeons, passing heavy set guards. He tripped almost happily down the steps. The air here was thick and murky with smoke and fear. Just a small detour to see how things were going with his star prisoner. Ah, yes. Here was his edge, should things go wrong. Here was the bargaining chip he would trade with his newfound allies. He had no idea why the prisoner was so important. That was a minor concern. 
Once they reached Crisfell, the man confined here would be sorry that he'd ever been born. Several weeks behind bars had not soothed the other's temper. The brown eyes smouldered at him with all the same fire. They could have almost been brothers, indistinguishable if not for the blue-woven, intricate tattoos that the sick hen favoured, snaking around the prisoner's arms. The Duke's recent success allowed him some measure of conviviality. I hope you're enjoying the accommodations. The other glared at him. There were several new bruises swelling on his face, and he seemed to have some difficulty seeing out of one eye. I was told to deal with only the one called Ashime. I was told she had honour. You broke the seal of peace between us, and for what? What are you afraid of? Why do you not let me see her? The Duke covered his face, as if suddenly wrecked by grief. But when he pulled them away, there was a terrible grin on his lips. I'm sorry. Ashime has suffered a tragic accident. But I must say I'm surprised that her fame has spread to your island. But tell me, was it... Let me see. Was it the godlings who told you to seek her out? Hmm? Was it? The other tried to hide his dismay, no doubt suddenly aware of his position. The length of his thick plaited braid swung about him as he turned away. I see it was. The Duke rubbed his chin thoughtfully, enjoying this game. So it was they that sent you to sue for peace, while I sent her on her last fatal mission. Apparently, she was carrying a message to the Sitkim when they slew her. Most unfortunate. He spun around, his eyes narrow, but a beatific smile on his face. Ironic, isn't it? You sailed here because of the ancient truce between our nations. From you. <laughs> we should have known that you'd break it. Very astute of you, my friend. Very astute indeed. Um, why didn't that cleverness stop you from walking into my trap, then? Very sad about Ashime, but I'm afraid you'll have to deal with me instead. Oh, yes. And my friends. He watched the prisoner's reaction carefully. Yes, he knew something about them, even if it was merely legend. Undoubtedly, that was why he had come here to speak with Ashime. Anger flared in his breast that such as this could share his precious secret, a secret no other on Crisfell knew. Double the guards on the prisoner, the Duke whirled on his closest soldiers, and halve his rations of food and water. And I want him in a smaller cell, too. This isn't a boarding house, you know. Next time I come down here, he better not have such a mouth on him. The Duke was determined to take his revenge on the prisoner in more painful ways, but that would be for another day. Time now to return to a more important matter. At the sound of the Duke's footsteps going back up the stairs, the prisoner seemed to recover some spirit. Damn you! he roared, thrusting himself violently against the bars. Damn you, then deal with me now, you coward! Ha! <laughs> no! The Duke smirked over one shoulder. That pleasure is for another visit, I'm afraid. After my friends have finished with you, though, you may wish that I'd never stopped. Striding back to his apartments in the inner ward, the Duke was angry once more. Damn the prisoner! His former good mood was gone, and there was no ash to soothe him when he reached his room. For a moment, before the doors swung open, he could almost see her there. She always ran her fingers through his hair, letting her nails lightly scratch his scalp. It was like embracing a cat. Certainly there would be things about Ashime that he would miss, mostly private things. Public life had not really been her forte. The whole court had known of their liaison. Her fame was in part due to that, yet she'd always found it difficult to bend to his wishes completely. 
Sometimes it had seemed to the duke that the tall figure in the black armour, standing so impassively by his side, was judging him. She always wanted more from him than he was prepared to do or give. The duke unravelled his lathe and padded to the window in the loose shirt he wore beneath. He tried to ignore the bed. Despite himself, he could still see her there sprawled among the cushions, wearing a knowing little smile. Images of her falling flashed unbidden into his mind, quickly followed by the images of her reaching the bottom. It was all very unpleasant. She had done nothing to deserve what he had done to her. He knew that, and he hadn't meant to become the villain. He hadn't really meant to sacrifice the one person who loved him. But the terrible truth was that it had to be done. Go away, he told the ghost on the bed. I trust you're not talking to me. The voice that came to him from behind the thick velvet curtain sent an unpleasant shiver up the duke's spine. Twisted and malignant though it was, could he really say the shiver was all fear? She stepped out from behind the bed. Even when trying to be seen, it was actually difficult to notice her. Something encouraged the human mind to avoid her, and when she really exerted herself, she was simply impossible to see. The sheer possibilities of this were what had really convinced the Duke to alter his plans to suit these new allies. But it was only after he had demonstrated his loyalty to them that they had revealed the even more amazing possibilities they could offer. Giselle sat down on the bed, scarcely ripping the covers with her breathy presence. He tried to focus on her face. She was a distant, threadbare ghost, bending to faint spectral breezes that affected only her. He turned away and carefully poured some water into a basin. After placing a few drops of scented oil in as well, he quickly splashed his face. Best not to let his new friends think he was too concerned, or too eager. So, what news, Giselle? She flickered against the velvet, giving one of her almost pained expressions. We draw nearer by the day. The outer islands are now ours. The spring winds will bring us to this shore. Three months, perhaps earlier. The Alpha has taken a new body. You should be honoured that our leader trusts you enough to come, even in this way. He wishes to know if you have secured the one he asked for. Of course. It was no small matter, but it is done. You haven't told me why this lad is so important. That's right. He shot her a small but annoyed look. Well, then, I will expect to find out later. Perhaps. And the ships? He could feel his anger rising. The clan Marakai will have all the ships we need to invade Sitkan. Excellent. Giselle hummed to herself, a ghostly imitation of a little girl's voice. The magics of the Sitkan prevent us from landing on their beaches, but with you taking us, Lord Duke, our plans and yours are assured. More than a little peeved by her tone, the Duke stripped off the last of his clothes. Giselle wasn't really here, so she didn't really count as a woman. He drew on his heavily embroidered nightshirt. The extravagance of such a thing reminded Garin just who he was and what he could do. Was that an amused look? Expecting someone? Giselle's voice was almost a whisper, like it came from a long way off. Isn't it a little early to be entertaining after your bereavement? If it got out? No, I'm not expecting anyone, but I hardly think that my affairs are any of your concern. Shouldn't you be out gathering intelligence, or whatever it is you do? Giselle rose like she was being blown, and slid across to him. Raising a transparent hand, she stroked his shoulder. Her presence didn't even disturb the air about him, and Garin wondered what was sensation to a creature such as this. 
Lou is wandering, she breathed in his ear. He is the only one who might sense me. I thought it foolish to take even such a small risk, so I waited here for you. Considering how close we are, the Duke shivered. Giselle's proximity chilled to the bone. His muscles were locked, and he could feel his heart pounding in his chest. Strangely, though, Guerin was aroused. What a perverse creature he was. How close are we, then? he asked through dry lips. Very, she whispered, so near to him that the hair on his skin hummed. I hope you remember the bargains you made with us, the things you promised us in return for our help. Skellig and this island will be ours. What use do I have of Skellig once I have all the other island nations beneath my heel? His senses snapped back to him, cleared by the dangerous thoughts. He was not stupid. These were perilous games, and he was the one playing them all by himself. No Ashimay to talk to, and certainly no one else to confide in. So, of course, I remember. Striding over to the window, Guerin looked out over the garden. Could Giselle read his mind? Did she know what deceits and double crosses he had planned, even against those who thought themselves his ally? They had been foolish to expose their weakness to him, even unintentionally. She knew, didn't she? No. But she would have suspected in time. And risen against you, Jerry. He spun around at the most presumptuous use of his given name. Giselle had given up all pretense at visibility, however, and only her voice floated on the ether. How embarrassing that would have been for you. He waved his hand in her direction dismissively. Why don't you leave me in peace, Giselle? Crawl back into whatever foul place you live in. Guerin's skin trembled as she drew closer once more, perhaps in anger. And yet it passed. He felt her go, though he didn't turn his head. Spreading herself thin, passing beneath the doorway, no doubt. He flopped down on the bed and reached for the small vial on the cabinet next to it. He had been considering a little nighttime foray into the town, but Giselle had changed his mind. Sleep was now looking better and better, and there was no way of telling if he could get any in the coming weeks. So Guerin, Duke of Crisfell, drank the dark purple contents of the vial and slipped into sleep. He stood on a dark, featureless plain. The misty blue horizon spread far away from him. He was all alone but the ground underneath his feet trembled with the approach of something large and fearsome. And as with Giselle, he found himself slick with sweat and desire. Straining all his senses, he waited for it to broach the horizon. A hint of golden light was seeping from the distance, like a thin wound. A slip of laughter sound behind him, a laugh he knew very well. He felt a twist of real fear now. Ash? His voice sounded hollow and scared even to himself. Turning seemed to take forever. She was behind him, where he had not looked. Her armour was no longer black. Now it was viscous red and pooling all around her. Blood coated her and ran in rivers down her unsheathed blade. Her hair blew about her, raised on unseen winds that heralded the approach of something terrifying. Green eyes, so green that they flared like fire. Was she angry he had killed her, or was she glad? Never, she seemed to say. I am never dead. Garen, she called softly. Why did you invite them? Why did you call them in from across the deep? Don't you know? 
They're the weavers! Screaming in absolute horror, she fell away from him. When Garin awoke, slick with sweat, he called for his guards. His most trusted band, they came grim-faced down the corridor. In their eyes, he could imagine what he looked like, pale, tousled, and with an edge of panic in his voice. He could hardly believe what he was saying himself. Bring me Ashime's body, her head, anything. Find out if she is dead or alive. He leaned closer to them, his voice harsh. And if the latter, I would be most disappointed. They nodded shortly, no questions asked. They would do as they were bid. Stupid, Garin told himself after he had shut the door on them. She was dead. She had to be. But he would not sleep an easy night until he had her head to prove it. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an e- or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantine.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.